0: mechanical issues this morning, I'm going to take the message that I had and I'm going to condense it down to maybe 10 minutes, okay? So follow me if you can at the back, and uh, we're going to jump into this. In the early service, I, I don't really need to uh, show you in this service like I did in the early service, I think, but uh, because of the generational difference, but in the early service, I took my cell phone out and I said, hey, Siri, what is the measurement of the mass of the sun in grams. And Siri gave me an answer within about two seconds. So that's, that's commonplace for us in our world. It hasn't always been that way. This voice recognition software that allows us to speak to a computer and get results back is an incredible thing. And if you're less than... Forty years old, you may not remember a whole lot of the year of uh, the, uh, the way it used to be before that. But uh, the the whole idea of recognizing a voice and it speaking back to you or it responding to that voice command or request is an incredible thing. Uh, until it doesn't work, and we've been dealing with some electronic issues around here. There are gremlins in the machine or something to that effect. Um, and that is the nature of that. But sometimes, when that begins to crowd its way into our spiritual lives, it's not nearly as funny. Um, sometimes, well, let me just ask it in the form of a question: Do you ever get to a point in your life? You ever been at a point in your life where you felt like God wasn't talking to you, or maybe that no matter how much you talked, He wasn't hearing to you, wasn't hearing you, or responding to you? When we came to this church, it's been six years ago now, almost to the day, when we were in discussions with the pulpit committee from this church, we were serving down in the Rio Grande Valley, and while we were there, uh, we got contacted by the pulpit committee from Crestwood, the search committee from Crestwood, and uh, we set about, Teresa and I did, the process of trying to discern God's will for our lives and to listen to what he might have to say to us, and it was as if he wasn't speaking for a long time. No, it wasn't that we were getting differing, it, we, just, we didn't get anything. And so finally we reached a point, and I think the committee was at the same point where, where we just kind of said, God's going to have to write it in the sky for us to, to know that he's in this. And sure enough, a note fell from heaven and fluttered to the table. Uh, now Kevin Johnson dropped it to the table, but nonetheless it was... <laughs> One of those things where that day and in that meeting on May the 8th, 2011, we knew without question that God was speaking to us. Sometimes we hear him well, sometimes we don't hear him at all, and sometimes it's somewhere in between. We think we get a message and we're not really sure that it's his voice, and and so we kind of go through one of those, like a radio signal that just doesn't quite make the connection and it cuts in and out. I don't know how it is for you today when you walked in here, whether you're in a season of your life where you hear God very clearly, it's as if he's right next to you talking directly into your ear, or if you're in one of those stretches where it seems like he's not talking at all, or maybe somewhere in between there. The idea that God speaks to us and that we hear and respond to him is fundamental when it comes to the Christian life. We have to hear from God. So in John chapter 10, we come now to two of the statements that Jesus makes about himself. And I'm going to mention the first one and draw a quick application to that. And we'll jump to the second one. And again, even though this seems to be working now, uh, I'm still going to try to cut it down a little bit for us uh, so that we can move on. But I don't want us to miss the content of what we're talking about today. In John chapter 10... Coming hard off the hills of John chapter 9, duh, uh, we find this movement because in John chapter 9, it's one of those signs that Jesus does the work that he performs in the life of this one guy becomes the opportunity for confrontation with religious leaders. And you could go back and review that because we preached that passage a number of weeks ago, but now we get into chapter 10 and Jesus takes the confrontation with the religious leaders that occurred in chapter nine, and now he begins to bear down on some truth for them. And the thread that runs through this whole thing is the opportunity and the responsibility we have to recognize the voice of Jesus Christ. You don't have much hope in life if you can't hear his voice. And one of the reasons that's true is because this idea of access, and this is now the next of the I am statements. We find it in verse 7. I'm going to read up through verse 9 very quickly. John chapter 10 starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And I'm just going to boil all of that down to this basic statement. Later, Jesus is going to say in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And those two come together and we find in Jesus access. Now, the question is access to what? What? And we're going to get to that in just a moment, but I I want to make sure that we get this part of it. He is in this confrontation, and the confrontation is escalating with these religious leaders. So much so that he pulls a picture out of everyday first century Jewish life that of a shepherd. And he uses this analogy where he is the one who is now the door into that sheep pen, the sheep fold, whatever language we want to put on that. Jesus gives us the picture that he's the shepherd. He's the one who guards the door, if you will. If you come to the church office during the week, we make you buzz yourself in. Well, that's really not the right way to say that. You can't buzz yourself in. You have to push a button, speak to the people inside, and if our secretaries are having a good day, they might let you in. Okay, well, they they have clear directions on how that's supposed to work. There's a guard there, if you will. It's electronic, to be sure, so it may or may not be working today, but that's the way it's supposed to work. But in first century Jewish life, this picture of a shepherd and the guard, if you will, into the sheepfold is, is a, it's a pregnant one for us. It's, there's great meaning in this. Most of the sheepfolds of that day, or many of them at least, would have been a courtyard area. Some even maybe in one of the rooms of their home. But for the most part, it was a courtyard area. And if there were a number of people together in a a small area, they might build a courtyard and different uh, flocks would all stay at the same place. But the door that they would use, often the shepherd would lay across the doorway so that if any sheep tried to get out in the middle of the night while he was asleep, it would wake him up trying to get past him. Or the other way to say that is if somebody tried to get in from the outside, he would also be aware of that. And that's the image that Jesus puts here. And he wants us to understand this truth about who he is. The I am statement here has to do with access. I am the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, having said that, Let me challenge our thinking just a little bit. Because our thinking tends to be that what Jesus is talking about here is limited just to how to get into heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That's a true statement. He's the door. That's a true statement. But in our thinking, we get so simplistic about this that we reduce what Jesus is talking about down to simply getting into heaven. Okay, now don't misunderstand me. You don't get into heaven without Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. That clearly is a true statement, but Jesus has more in mind here than some far-off, after-you-die benefit of being a follower of his. I know that because I've read verse 10. And so we go to verse 10, which falls hard on the heels of what we just said. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they, the sheep, might have life and have it abundantly. let Let me change the wording just a little bit to try to capture the intensity of what's written there. Jesus said, I have come. Contrasting those false teachers... False prophets, those religious leaders that you are so familiar with who have polluted God's design. Contrasting those, it's me, he says. And I come to give you life that will blow your mind. The word abundantly is the one that's used there. It's not a bad translation. But to get the thrust of what he's saying here, Jesus comes to say, I am the door into this life that will absolutely Blow your mind. Let me just stop for a second. Let's own that. Is that fake news? Now, we know fake news, right? I mean, aren't you glad the election season is over? I don't care who you voted for. If your person won or not, I don't really care too much about it. I'm just glad it's over. But in the spin-up to this last election, all of a sudden, bubbling to the surface, for whatever reason, was this concept of fake news. And so there, there, there is apparently, according to Facebook, so it must be true, <laughs> there is this move that's out there to push an agenda and to create news that's not real, just to play on the emotions and the thoughts of people. I got news for you. That's not a new thing. False prophets in the Old Testament did that all the time. To play to the emotion, to the situation of the moment in a way to gain favor for themselves and for their agenda. That happens all the time. That's the human condition in many ways. Jesus comes to speak. Not really about those things. It's not like he's really attacking them here as much as he's, he, he is doing that. It's not as intent as much as it is to say, hey, don't miss the reality. You can be misled. But when you want life that'll blow your mind, that includes an eternity in heaven, I'm your guy. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So you have that life today? Where you sit, the way you walked in here today, with all of the baggage of your life, do you experience life that is surpassing your greatest expectations? You don't have to wait to heaven to get that. You know, one of the devil's greatest uh, power plays on Christian people is to get them to put off to eternity what Jesus offers them today. So life can be better than it is. But the only way you get that is you go through the door. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's go to the second one. There's another I am statement in this. It's interesting that John gives all of these chapters of, of the gospel and he crams two of these I am statements of Jesus into one little analogy here. And actually, this is the one that I expected Jesus to say in the first place. To say I am the door was it kind of caught me off guard the first five or 600 times I read that. Uh, you expect him to immediately jump to you. You got all these false teachers. You got the the thieves and the robbers. You got all of that stuff. But uh, I, I expected him to say, "I'm the good shepherd," which is exactly what he does. So we pick up reading in verse eleven, and he continues his argument now against those and for life. And so, verse eleven: "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I'm gonna continue reading in just a few moments but let me stop here for a second and let's make sure that we understand the full thrust of what Jesus is saying. He's already clarified that he's the way you don't get to life without him. But Now he pulls back the covers just a little bit for us and allows us to see what comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. What what do you get as a sheep? The language of caring just Bubbles to the surface through these verses that we've read this morning. Let me just take you back, and we'll walk through a few of them very quickly. Verse 3, the language of caring as we walk our way through this. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. It is clear through archaeological evidence of our day that in first century Jewish life, those Jewish shepherds saw their sheep like... My wife sees her puppy. We gave our puppy a name. Okay, that's not a true statement. She gave our puppy a name. I'm fine with that. She does names better than I do. I'll show you what I mean by that in just a few moments. But she named this little puppy Maggie Mae. Maggie Mae is not a little puppy anymore. She's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. But to hear Teresa, or probably me if I'm being totally honest, call her name, you would think that it's this little bitty, nice, cuddly little dog. Okay, She's a wrecking ball. We love our animals, and we name our animals. Don't look at me like I'm some wimp. You do the same thing. First century Jewish life. Well, those shepherds did that. We have evidence that they named their sheep. Nothing wrong with that. But what it shows us is an intimacy here. It's a connection. It's a caring kind of relationship enough that the... I look at sheep and I look at one sheep and I look at a hundred sheep and I think, those are sheep. That's the only name I know to give them. But a shepherd sees beyond that. And so in verse 3... When Jesus says that he calls his own sheep by name, the picture that we need to pull from that is that this is not little Jesus or big, mean Jesus who's detached from his creation and from his people. This is a picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, who knows you by name. And if he knows you by name, you can be certain that he knows what's going on in your life. And he cares. I know that because we could take another step and go to verse four, and it says here when he has brought all, or when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. Let me give you the picture here. There's a lot of different ways with livestock. I, <laughs> we had a guy in a church in the valley where I came from uh, who worked at the sale barn. His name's Jeff, and uh, Jeff rode his bicycle all over town. He's a great guy, one of the purest-hearted guys that I've ever met. Never missed church. He was always there, had some issues in his life. He was never gone. And somebody got Jeff a job. And it was out at the, at the sale barn. And Jeff's job at the cell barn was to sit up on the fence. And when the cows started coming through the chute and they started backing up a little bit, he'd pop them with that hot shot. Pow! And those, that's electric, by the way. If you don't know what that is, that's an electric charge that helps a cow discover electricity. And man, they get motivated when that happens. There's a lot of ways to move livestock around. Okay, let me change the picture for you. There's a lot of ways to move people around. The picture here is of a shepherd who goes into his sheep and he calls them out and says, Follow me. And because of the relationship, and we've read through how that looks here, the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. And so they follow him. They don't follow just any voice. That's why I call this sermon voice recognition because the thread that runs through this whole thing is we better be able to hear and recognize the voice of Jesus or we're going to miss out on life. But these sheep, he says, hear my voice and I lead them out. It's a picture of a good shepherd who has the best interests of his sheep at heart, always at heart. Verse 9 is another picture of the caring good shepherd. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The good shepherd says, I'm going to take you to good places. I'm going to take you to safe places, as we'll see in just a few moments. We could go on, verse 11, all the way through verse 18. I stopped reading in verse 15, so let me pick up in 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This is where we should say, praise God for this. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so the picture that we have, and I could give you more of these snapshots of the caring good shepherd... But let me just finish this way. We could wrap up the whole role of the good shepherd with this statement. The shepherd is selfless. Now, the way of the world is selfish. I will do what's good for me. I will get my own. I'm going to get mine first. If you get yours, that's your business. But I'm going to get mine first. Not so with the shepherd and especially not with the good shepherd. Jesus begins to peel back the coming future as he talks about his role as the good shepherd and I will lay my life down, he says. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I lay my life down because I love you and I care for you. The shepherd, the good shepherd, the selfless shepherd, is attentive, always to be aware of danger that lurks for the sheep. You should know that I'm a shepherd. Well, I used to be a shepherd. I always like to say those things and watch y'all look at me like, yeah, okay, so what's the the next? Yeah. So I really was a shepherd. When I was going out of, okay, well, I only had a, my my flock of sheep was just one. (laughs) I, I was growing out of, my elementary years into my middle school years, and we lived in Central Texas, and uh, my dad was pastoring a church there. We hadn't been there very long, and and, and so we, I, you know, everybody in that town did 4-H or FFA once they got into you know the upper upper high school stuff, and uh, and so I decided I wanted to do that too, and so I joined 4-H, and I was going to, you know, you had to have a project, right? So I, I was going to raise a lamb. And so my dad went out and bought a lamb and brought it home. Now, we lived right on the, I mean, our street was the edge of town. And so uh, we were going to just raise the lamb in our backyard, which was fine. We'd bring him, her, it, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't a very good shepherd. Um, <laughs> we'd bring this lamb in at night in our, and put it in our laundry room, kind of, you know, and all night long. Meh, meh. Um, and I was that lamb's shepherd. By the way, this is where the naming of our animals comes in because I named that lamb "Lamb." I, that was his name. Just I didn't know what's well, an appropriate name for a lamb, and um, so that lamb was mine. And part of my responsibility was to feed it and you know all that kind of stuff. And so I'd mix up the bottle and give that lamb that bottle and. Uh, i don 't know exactly how long, probably two or three weeks we had that lamb, and it was growing and uh it was long enough that I was starting to get to the point of going, this is a lot of trouble, but my parents would have none of that. I was always responsible for that, and one day, my dad came and he came into my room and he sat down and he said uh, so um you need to know that Fritz Fritz was our next-door neighbor's German shepherd. Fritz jumped the fence and he scattered your lamb all over the backyard. I was a horrible shepherd. And at the moment in my little middle school thinking, I wanted to kill Fritz. And had my dad not been there, I would have. Because in my middle school immature thinking, I blamed the death of that lamb on that dog. But in my adult thinking, now I know that I wasn't looking after that lamb. The lamb did not have the wherewithal, the ability to look out for itself. All it knew was to be a lamb. I'm the one who should have known that it was dangerous to leave a lamb outside with an animal like that next door. The dog was just being a dog after all. Here's the deal with the good shepherd. The the land that we walk as his sheep is dangerous territory. There's opportunities for us to be pulled into multiple pieces every day. In our lives, Scripture tells us in other places that your enemy, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our good shepherd knows the territory. He understands the danger of life. So it's no empty claim in verse 10 when he says, I come to give you abundant life, incredible life. I come in the midst of the dark, dangerous world and bring you life, because I'm the good shepherd. This shepherd knows the territory. He, he would have to know where to f- take these sheep to find a pastures to eat in and water to drink. He, he had to know that kind of stuff. I am, by the way, still a shepherd, uh, biblically speaking, as a pastor of a church and under-shepherd, we might say. And so, in some ways, I don't want to, like, weird you out or anything like that, but you're kind of my flock. Um, It sounds weird, but I I think there's truth enough in that. And I look out for my flock. We had a group of our people, and I'm about to close. Some musicians won't you all come on up. But we had a group of our people who went down to the Rio Grande Valley a couple of months ago uh, to, (laughs) to Penitas, and they stayed in mission. And just so you know, they were an advanced team because they're from our missions committee and we're going to be taking a group of people this summer on a mission trip down to Pinitas where there is a Buckner Family Services uh, uh, center there that helps to take care of people in a particular neighborhood and, and help them with life. And uh, so our people went down there. Now, you know, I lived for 20 years down in that area. And one of my dearest friends in all the world lives right close to that. And so, uh, as our people were going down there, I said to them, When you get there, you gotta eat a botana. Now, I don't know Spanish that well. Botana, I think, means boat. Here's what it really needs to mean manna. You know, the Old Testament word for manna, and the children of Israel wandered and they ate it. And they went, Wow, what is this? This is awesome. That's a botana. Okay? Fajita meat and quesadillas and chips with cheese, and jalapenos, and guacamole. Oh, my goodness. I'm just drooling on myself here thinking about it. So And it was fabulous. Thank you for that testimony. See, you see, I care about our sheep because they said, where should we eat? I said, you got to go to Taco Olay. It's on Conway Avenue in Mission, Texas. Order the Botana. You will love it. Barbara just said it was fantastic. The shepherd... Knows the territory. And so in your life, and you walked in here today, and you knew, you knew that there are needs in your life, you knew that something wasn't right. Maybe you don't know what's not right, but you can tell. You know what? There's things that are just out of whack here. Good news. Your good shepherd knows the territory of your life. And he cares. He calls you by name. And he gives you ultimate life. Jesus and John both pull back to an Old Testament heritage. We call it Old Testament. Because Jesus is the embodiment of that one of whom David spoke when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me the lie down in green pastures. He knows the territory. He knows what you need. He takes you to safe places. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is the good shepherd. Jesus embodies the good shepherd. And even though, and here, he leads me in paths of righteousness for, for his sake. And here we go. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because, now change the words a little bit, because the good shepherd is with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. This good shepherd will blow your mind if you hear his voice. you got to recognize his voice because if you don't recognize his voice, you're going to miss it in the clutter of our lives and the, the overwhelming press of schedules and deadlines and stuff. You'll miss it. He came to give you life. He holds it out before you right now. And he says, I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I love you. Do you hear that? What do you do with that? Let me ask you to bow your heads, if you will. We go into time of invitation. The question is, what do you do with that? If you know that there's a voice that's drawing you, but you don't know what to do with it, my best counsel to you is do not walk out of this room without getting some kind of assistance in how to understand what's going on. That's why we have an invitation. I'll be down front here. Aaron's down here. We have others, lots of folks who would love to share and help you discern the voice of Jesus in your life right now. But if life is if you just know that life's got to be more than what it is why would you not give jesus a chance so father we ask you to take this time be glorified in it is our prayer in jesus name amen